Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. Today I'm joined by Ambassador Ramon Eduardo Martinez de la Guardia. He's the Panamanian Ambassador of the United States. He completed his school studies at the Colegio Javier, where he graduated in 1994. He's got a a law degree. He also has a business degree. He's had 17 years of experience in the practice of commercial and corporate law, advising various local and international companies in areas of trade. He's also an expert in free zones as well as special regimes. But in May of 2019, he decided to go into public service, and he was named Minister of Commerce by then-president-elect Laurentino Cortizo Cohen, who's the current president of Panama. Ambassador Martinez is someone who I have great admiration for and really represents Panama very, very well. He's got a great team here in Washington. I think the Panamanian embassy is one of the most effective embassies here. And I think that Ambassador Martinez really represents his country so well. I was in Panama earlier in September. I had a wonderful trip. It's a wonderful country. I encourage people to visit Panama. And I was anxious to have the ambassador on to talk about U.S.-Panamanian relations and how things are going in Panama because it's getting a lot of attention. So I was so happy that the ambassador agreed to come on my podcast today. Ambassador, thanks for being on today. Dan, thank you. Thank you for your kind words, for your interest in Panama, for for traveling to Panama. And you are right. I have a great team here in the embassy and I am pleased to be here. I have to mention your DCM, Carmen Mora, I think is the best DCM of any embassy in Washington. I'm a a great admirer and fan of Carmen Mora. She really represents your country so well. Well, I hope she's listening. I hope she is too. So, Ambassador, you used to be Minister of Commerce of Panama. You've had a, a business background and a legal background. You know Panama really well. I thought I'd start with the question, I'm convinced in that there's a whole phenomenon of nearshoring, of rethinking global supply chains and directing them to places with good infrastructure, good business climate, excellent workforce, excellent climate, excellent cultural options. So if you said to me, of the countries that I visited recently, what would be the premier nearshoring country? It would be Panama. Make the case as to why Panama is a great nearshoring candidate. Dan, I think you should also be ambassador of Panama. <laughs> I mean, the, the pandemic has underscored how much the world needs resilient supply chains. For Panama, we believe we are the front runners to be the ideal place for nearshoring destination for global trade. Some of the things that I, I can say about Panama is our dollarized economy, our geographical position, our unbeatable logistical platform that makes us the clear choice moving forward. You know, you visit Panama, Panama's global logistic platform. It features a dependable two ocean configuration of well-developed ports in the Atlantic and in the Pacific, linking Panama to 182 ports in 54 countries. In 2019, I don't know if you know this, but the World Economic Forum Global Competitiveness Report ranked Panama's efficiency 
of board services, seventh globally. And its leadership in connectivity is the best in Latin America and the Caribbean. Panama also offers a, a robust air connectivity, according to a report published by the World Economic Forum in 2020. So these are things that I am not making them up. They are published by the WEF. You know, Panama has the best air transport infrastructure in Latin America and the Caribbean, ranking 27th globally. So Panama's air infrastructure links to 90 destinations, direct flights in 39 countries in the Americas, Europe, and Asia. Plus, right now, global air cargo companies are also leveraging the infrastructure of Panama. And one example is DA Shale. They established their regional distribution hub in Panama. Yeah, I was in the airport. The new airport in Panama is excellent, the new terminal. And Copa Airlines is a great airline and is a great unofficial ambassador for your country. Yes, yes. I mean, we are very, very proud of Copa Airlines. Copa Airlines have invested a lot in Panama. They have believed in the country. And right now, they relaunched in August 16, to be exact, they relaunched their stopover program in Panama. What is the stopover program? It means that a passenger that is touching Panama as a connecting place to go to a, a final destination can stop over in Panama for up to a week, either going to the destination or coming back to home. And uh, that way, you know, they can enjoy all the beautiful things of Panama. As you know, I'm going to say some stuff here, if you allow me, that I don't think people know or realize about Panama and tourism. I want to take the opportunity, you mentioned Copa, to talk about Panama. You know, Panama has more plant diversity than the United States and Canada combined. It's an incredibly rich biodiversity. In fact, the Smithsonian has been studying the tropical biology of the area for more than 100 years. I mean, this year, the Smithsonian turned 100 years of their uh, studies and investigation of Panama, and they still believe there is plenty more to investigate. We have the most beautiful natural environment in the world, including three natural UNESCO World Heritage Sites. The only urban capital with a tropical rainforest within the city limits and over 1,400 tropical islands featuring stunning, stunning beaches. So Panama is a perfect destination. Perfect for people that enjoy the cosmopolitan city, go shopping, to go to beaches and to do hiking, for animal lovers, for nature enthusiasts of all kinds. It's a top world destination for birding, water rafting, sports fishing, and unique snorkeling. So. I'm sure I'm, I'm forgetting some, some other beauties of Panama, but I think I can condense them with what I have just said. It's interesting to me because when I was in Panama, I asked the question, because you have a recent alliance with Costa Rica and the Dominican Republic and Ecuador. And if you look at Costa Rica or the Dominican Republic, which are also beautiful places, but Panama is as beautiful as Costa Rica and as beautiful as the Dominican Republic, I think the tourism as a percentage of GMP of Panama, if I recall correctly, was about 4%, maybe 5% of the GMP of a more diversified economy than those other countries. 
But Costa Rica has something like 10 or 12% of their economy is tourism, and the Dominican Republic is something like 15%. There's a lot of opportunity for tourism in Panama, and because of the direct flights, it's extremely convenient to get there. Yes, yes, you're right. I mean, we have such a big potential uh, in tourism. As you said, we, our economy is very diverse, but there's plenty that we can do. And we are now promoting Panama more internationally and, and with Copa Airlines and the Air Hub of the Americas. I think we're, we're very confident that a 4 or 5% GDP in, in tourism will increase. So I want to talk about there's some other sectors that your government is focusing on in the context of nearshoring. And you could, in some ways, arguably tourism is part of sort of a nearshoring strategy about thinking about Panama as a destination, maybe. But more in the nearshoring sector, one of the areas is ICT and microchips, for example. Talk about how is Panama thinking about the manufacturing in the ICT sector? You know, then the U.S. Congress recently approved a, a 50 $2 billion through the SHIPS Act to incentivize domestic semiconductor research, design, and manufacturing. As you know, the goal is to reduce U.S. dependence on Asia semiconductor manufacturing and also to bolster United States national security. However, without a serious increase of back-end manufacturing capacity, the U.S. semiconductors will continue to be dependent on Asia. So Panama really wants to play a role, a strategic role, and expand the capacity of the region by becoming a regional hub for the assembly, testing, and packaging of semiconductors. What are we doing? We are fostering partnerships with U.S. academia and have set up an interagency team to analyze how we can leverage our strength while also building the right incentives for the industry. Panamanian government is also uh, setting up a, a network of institutions to support workforce training because I think that's crucial, that's, that's critical in this type of, of industry. The workforce training of human capital and, and human capital development. We have an institution that we call the ITSE. ITSE is the Specialized Technical Superior Institute and it's a state-of-the-art campus used to enable industries and public-private partnerships. So what we do is that we do an MOU with, with a technological company to basically train our trainers. And also we need a short course to have our people trained in short term. One other thing that we're really specialized in is regimes. As you mentioned in your intro, I was Minister of Commerce and Industry, and, and we oversee and regulate all the special regimes. And when I was minister by the instruction also of President Laurentino Cortizo Cohen, we created what we call the EMA regime, which is a manufacturing services for multinational regime, especially for multinationals that want to establish a manufacturing operations. So it's perfect for device manufacturers, what you call the IDM, all the IDMs that are looking to open operations in the hemisphere, this new regime, and in addition to all the things that I've already spoke to, it's, very, it's going to be very popular. Also, you have what is called the OSATs, the Outsourcing Semiconductors Assembly and Testing Companies. If special places like the Panama Pacific Special Economic Zone, that has 
terrific tax incentives, special labor regulations to allow companies to operate 24-7 and also access special visas granted to investor workers and also their families. As you see, Panama is looking very closely at this opportunity and we want to engage private players and we are doing that right now that are considering in investing in the region. So Ambassador, one of the things that we've learned during COVID is that we need countries that have a strong rule of law, capable workforce, excellent infrastructure, and have access to electricity and the capacity to manufacture vaccines. I think that Panama would be a great place to, to respond to sort of this global need that we have. I know one of the areas that Panama is interested in developing is in the larger pharmaceutical sector, and this would be a part of that. Could you talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah, sure. And by the way, I agree with you. And Panama offers important advantages to the industry leaders seeking to, to expand research, distribution, and manufacturing capabilities, especially when it comes to the industry of health and science. For instance, Panama has accumulated a lot of experience in clinical trials, as well as testing vaccines, medicine, treatments, and procedures. It, you know, we have the Gorgas Memorial Institute that was founded in 1921 and the Institute of Scientific Research and Advanced Technological Services, the Indicaset. Both are doing clinical trials and are guided by regulations by our Ministry of Health. Also, our tropical environmental provides a very unique experience to explore the industry. And I would like to add also that currently Panama has over 250 importers and manufacturers of over $200 million in public procurement and 20% of pharmaceutical purchases in the region. You mentioned the need for a strong workforce. I couldn't agree more with you. Panama stands ready to build partnerships with universities and technical training inst institutes. But one example I, I want to point out is the health security hub. We're currently developing that with Texas A&M and uh, together with a U.S. A Panama partnership, we are working to address the needs in capacity for biosurveillance, supply chain security, research and development, and manufacturing for medical countermeasures to address what you know we're going to be facing, regional and global health security threats. So Panama is not only there, he has a platform, he has the infrastructure, the, the, the geographic position, but also is moving forward with this type of partnerships with U.S. academia and a, and a great university as uh, Texas A&M. Ambassador, one of the other important industries in Panama is financial services. Panama is an important financial hub. I'm anxious to see Panama removed quickly from the, what's called the Financial Action Task Force, FATF, so-called gray list. My understanding is when I was in Panama is that there were a list of 15 items that Panama had to respond to and had responded to at least as of several weeks ago, at least 11, and it was on the process of responding to at least another two and was well on its way to kind of responding to sort of the checklist of things that had been given to them so that it was removed from this. Could you talk about the progress Panama is making and what your hopes are for when Panama will ultimately be removed from the gray list? 
Well, as you can imagine, we're also very anxious to be removed from the fatty gray list. Being included in this discriminatory list affects Panamanians' economic competitiveness, also affects and tarnish the Panamanian international image. So that's something that we very worry about because you visit Panama and you know we're not a place of only international services. We have industry, we have the Panama Canal, we have the logistic platform, we have uh, tourism. What we're doing, and we're not complaining, we want to achieve the highest international standards of transparency. And we have successfully implemented many of the actions. You said we have 11. Yes, those are 11 that are largely compliant. We have four that are partially compliant, but we certainly believe that we have done enough to comply with the financial Action Task Force is asking for. Some of the measures that we have implemented includes the strengthening of our information exchange team to include more oversight and modernizing its process by encrypting applications to other jurisdictions. So another example is the approval of Law 129 of 2020 that establishes a regulatory framework for the creation of the private and unique system for the registration of beneficiaries, final beneficiaries of Panama. Also, Panama has made an important progress regarding the monitoring of corporate sector, considerably increasing the supervision of non-financial institutions and strengthening the money laundering provision systems in our country. As I said, we believe we, we have complied with all the, the, the actions and We certainly hope that the Financial Action Task Force do understand that, that Panama has done enough, and not only enough, more than the majority of countries. And at the end, not only do we want to get removed from the list, our plan is really to become the poster child for financial transparency and be considered an example of international services high standards. So that's what we're aiming, and I hope we can get removed from this list that is really tarnishing the, the image of Panama. Ambassador, I really appreciate you coming on today. Please tell everybody at the embassy I said hello. I had a wonderful visit. I look forward to seeing you soon, and uh, I'm just very bullish on the future of Panama, and thanks for coming on today on Building the Future with Dan Rundy. Thank you, Dan. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 